Hey everyone, Logan here. Uh, we've been working on some pretty exciting stuff that I want to share with all of you before we begin this week's episode. Of course, part of our goal here at the show is to share valuable insight on the video game industry from professionals of all different backgrounds and experience levels. But sometimes we want to dive in a little deeper on one topic. You know, really get into the weeds with one particular aspect of video games and the industry. That's why I'm excited to introduce Indie Insider Panel Episodes. These panel episodes will feature three guests from all different backgrounds and experience levels, chatting, discussing, and debating one specific topic. And I'm excited to share that our very first panel episode will premiere next week. Next Monday, instead of a regular interview, I'll be bringing back Nathan Minier, Rick Davidson, and Chris Solarski to discuss the ins and outs of video game writing. We'll talk about what makes characters engaging, how writing involves more than just dialogue, and how game writers fit in with a team, plus much more. We hope to make these special panel episodes a regular thing, but we really need your feedback so we know we're headed in the right direction. So please check out the episode next week, and then let me know your thoughts. You can email me at logan at blackshowmedia.com, or even tweet at me at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Thanks for sticking with us, and I'm looking forward to sharing our new project with all of you next week. Welcome to Indie Insider, the weekly show where we chat with video game industry professionals about their projects, their stories, their advice to others, and of course, their thoughts on everything indie. I'm your host, Logan Schultz, and today on the show, I sit down with Lucas Molina, an indie game developer from Brazil. The two of us talk about game development in an area of the world where the practice is only now beginning to pick up, as well as his upcoming game, Roguemance, surrounding yourself with a community of your own design, and Lucas shares some advice for those out there hustling on their own. Before we get to the interview, however, a couple of quick notes. This show is presented by Blackshell Media, a publishing and marketing firm working to help indie developers reach their goals and new audiences. The company also strives to offer unique, inspiring, and even educational services for developers, publishers, and gamers alike, which is why we get to bring this show to you. Speaking of which, be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast services across the internet, and please, leave a review. If you'd like to be a part of the show and share your thoughts, questions, or even request a professional to bring on the podcast, send me an email at logan at blackshellmedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date news on the Indie Insider Podcast on Twitter by following at Logan A. Schultz. That's L-O-G-A-N-A-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z. Finally, special thanks to Lucas for joining us on the show, as well as Benjamin Tiso over at bensound.com for allowing us to use his song, Going Higher, in the show. And now, the developer of Painter's Guild and Roguemance, Lucas Molina. Welcome to Indie Insider Today. I am talking with Lucas Molina, an indie developer from Brazil. Lucas, how's it going, man? Hello, I'm good. And you? I'm doing all right. Uh, It's a pretty average Thursday for me today. Um, And it's middle of the day for you as well. How's your week going? What's a week in the life of Lucas look like now? Yeah, it's going pretty good. I've been working on uh, Roguemance, my new game, which is a roguelike with romance. You can 
meet uh, partners, fight alongside them. It's pretty cool. I've been seeing a lot about this game um, on Twitter and social media. I'm really excited to talk to you about it. It looks great, um, but we will get to that pretty quickly. Um, you are a full-time developer, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So let's start from the beginning. I want to hear you know, how you got into video games, how you ended up becoming a full-time developer. When did you discover that this is what you wanted to do? Yeah, my story is very different from the usual, I guess, because I'm actually of the history field. I studied history in college. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, so I wasn't supposed to be in games at all, right? But I always liked playing games. And uh, when I was a kid, I always played with editors and stuff like that. So Age of Empires 2... Uh, map editor, Warcraft 3 map editor, also like small tools, RPG Maker and stuff like that. Okay, sure. But it was never a, a profession for me. I mean, here, here in Brazil, you don't really uh, see that as a possibility even because um, even if we have like... Um, a few courses on uh, game development and stuff like that. We don't have many companies, and uh, we certainly didn't have any a few years ago. So growing up, making games was never really a possibility for me. So tell me a little bit about that. Um, give me some context. Brazil uh, and game development in Brazil, you said there weren't any companies a few years ago. What is it like now? Well, now it's getting a lot better. We have... A few, I, you'd call them small studios, but for us that didn't have anything up until a few years ago, they're actually pretty big in our opinion, right? But <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But there's, there's, there's small. They're like, uh, for example, there is Behold Studios, which made Knights of Pen and Paper, Chroma Squad. Um, okay. There's. Uh, Akiris Game Studio here in my, my city, Porto Alegre, which is, um, uh, well, I guess the more known game they made was Horizon Chase for mobile. Oh, which, okay. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was featured, it won a lot of prizes, like, I don't know, best app oh. of the year, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, they're really new. I mean, they didn't exist until, like, just a while ago. Okay. So, yeah, it is thriving. It's growing. It seems like there's, um, you know, people starting to do some exciting things. And is that because uh, the technology is more available, that it's it's just more possible? Is it a money thing? Is Brazil supportive of these companies? Uh, that's a pretty good question. I'm not sure if I can answer it correctly, but my opinion is that, yeah, technology helps. Uh, I guess also it's kind of a generation thing. No, uh the people that uh, started working now are people that played games as kids. They want to make games too. And uh, there's tools like Unity that allow us to do that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, makes the, sense. there isn't a lot of support for that. We, we just... Uh, mostly we do it against the current. We're, we're assuming against it. <laughs> sure. Okay, well, uh, continue your story, please. Um, there's not a whole lot out there in terms of resources for you and, and game development. 
Well, yeah. Um, so I didn't see really it as a possibility. I, I went into history because I really liked it. I still love history. It's one of my favorite things. Excellent. And, um, and I, I, that's why I, I make games about that as well. So when I was uh, doing my master's in history, uh, there was one uh, activity that one of the teachers gave us, which was to uh, make history public in a creative way. So I was already doing some uh, attempts at game development. I mean, looking at the indie scene back in 2012, there were already some well-consolidated indie games. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, w- it was like... There was also a lot of hobbyists, you know, people who were making games just for fun, and I wanted to be one of those people. I sure. wanted to just make some cool games, put them on the internet for free, and that was it. So I united those those two things, the, the hobby and this this task to make history public, and I, make, I made a historical game, which was called Avant-Garde. Uh, so it was about the vanguardist movements in Paris in the 19th century. The okay. player was an artist, and uh, he could meet artists of the time like uh, Bouguereau, Manet, uh, Monet painters like that, <laughs> and uh, he could, you know, uh, participate in that artistic scene of the time, the the salons, and see the shift in the art world that was happening. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was uh, a pretty bad game because it was (laughs) like my first game, right? Sure, of course. But at the same time, it was so unique. I mean, there was, there was no, nothing like that at the time. And uh, even now, I don't think you can find something close to that. So there was, um, a rock paper shotgun, uh, like a recurrent article at the time, which was uh, five best free games of the week or something like that. Okay. And uh, I did this this university project, which which was avant-garde, this art game, and I I figured, okay, my game is free, it's it's unique. I'm gonna send an email to to Porpentine, who was organizing this this weekly column at RPS. Okay. And uh, maybe it will get featured in those five titles, right? And to my surprise, uh, there was actually a whole article about Avangad. They wrote, you know, uh, its own feature. And uh, I was really surprised at that because it was just a, a hobbyist student game. It was, it was bad, but it still <laughs> got featured there. And there was, I don't know, it was like something, the, the surprise woke something in me, I guess. Tell me a little bit about that. You kind of just, you made this, you know, bad student game. And then you decide to send a cold email off to Rock, Paper, Shotgun and they do an entire feature about it. How does that feel? Is that kind of validating to you? I, it was validating, but I didn't even want anything validated, right? I wasn't looking for praise. I wasn't looking for a confirmation that my work was good. 
I was just making something that I like to do, that I was, I was enjoying learning about, and that uh, I wished that existed, because I really wanted to play games that were more about art, art history, and painting, and there was nothing like that, so I just made it myself, and I didn't really care if it wasn't very good. So, yeah, it was just surprising. Okay, so uh, you make this game. Uh, you're still in school at this point, right? I mean, this was just a project for your master's. Yeah. And so, and, and then what happens? Are you, is there something that shifts in you and you just decide, hey, maybe I'll just make games instead? Well, yeah, I guess that's kind of what happened. I was also a history teacher at this point. So oh, wow. okay. I, I taught part-time. Uh, in the in the mornings and in the afternoons, I I did, I studied that I had my my masters, so um, I realized well maybe I can go in this direction a little bit and see where it takes me. So I I took it step by step, right? I didn't go all in. And, oh, I'm just gonna make games. I just right. decided okay, so this surprised me. Let's see if I can surprise myself again a little bit more, and then a, a little bit more, and so on. Video games have been a part of your life pretty much your entire life, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. The, the first game I re- remember playing was uh, Alex Kidd on the Master System. I was like four or five years old, so yeah. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. So then, uh, I guess that makes sense. That's kind of what inspires you to uh, make this project. Did you make, or uh, rather, did you play games your entire life, even you know when you were getting your Master's? Were you still playing games? Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I guess most of my my waking life was spent playing games. I I can't see myself uh, not playing games really. I just I play sometimes to a a level which is harmful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I understand the pain. I really do. Um, so tell me this: you decide you're going to make avant garde for your masters right for that class yeah how do you go about making a game what engine did you use and how did you teach yourself how to do that yeah um i started with flash because it was relatively easy uh back then unity was coming up but it was still not as mainstream as it is now so you know i i couldn't really find a uh well, what what was the the best tool to make games? Now, if you search for that, you'll get Unity easy. But back then, it it was a lot more more varied. So um, yeah, I started with that, and I just went to Google. I I Google searched stuff, no specific stuff. Oh, how how do I make a button that when I click it, something happens? And I went from there. <laughs> That's really impressive. I appreciate your hustle and just, you know, figuring this out, teaching yourself how to make something. That's fantastic. Uh, so do you stick with making Flash games for a while? And, and when do you move on from there? Yeah, I, I stayed with Flash for a very long time because that was uh, what I ended up being familiar with. But uh, I've used a lot of tools at this point. I, I don't really believe in the super, superiority of any of them, I guess, wherever gets the job done at, at the time. <laughs> so uh, I've doubled with uh, Unity, uh, Game Maker, Construct. Pretty much any tool is fine by me. So you're teaching in the mornings, you're making games in the evenings, 
and in kind of just teaching yourself and just doing what you want to do, when does it become that you're going to do this full time? Yeah. Um, it was very gradual. I, I, I made a lot of small projects that were these steps towards, um, this goal that I really didn't have it for certain. Like I want to make games for a living. It wasn't mm -hmm. like that. It was more like, uh, well, maybe if, if I can go a little further, then I, uh, did my workout and, uh, I just went a little further every time with my projects. So after Avangad, I participated in a jam, which was the GitHub Game Off Jam, the first one. And I made a small platformer, which was called Forking. It was a puzzle platformer, very simple game, okay. a very hard game as well. And um, it actually got set, got, uh, it was a runner up in the competition. I got like a, a couple of GitHub t-shirts from that <laughs> the the first prize was uh, an ipad but i missed that you know i didn't get the ipad but i i still have my my shirts and i wear them <laughs> yeah, that's awesome that's a great story yeah. and um yeah i just kept making small games after that i made distort quest which was a flash game uh, the flash game market was already dying at this point this was like uh, 2013 Right. But there was still sponsorships. You could get some money. Uh, so Whistler Quest was the first time I made money from games. Uh, I got like a couple of sponsorships for $500 each, um, which to me at the time was really good. The game took like two months to make because I was really excited about making it. I was, uh, I was writing a devlog on, on TigSource posting every day my progress, sharing it on, on Twitter and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and it was just a, a, a flash game. I, I wasn't going to sell it to people. I was just excited about it. And, uh, yeah. Tell me about the first time that you made money making games. What did that feel like? What did you do with that money? Good question. I, I don't remember <laughs> what I did with that. But um, it, it was... Pretty good, I guess. It was just uh, in the in this sense, it was validation. It was uh, a confirmation at this point because I was going for the step, right? I was trying to see, can right. I make something that is good enough, that has the quality, that is fun enough? Because up to then, my games were not very fun. I was really bad at game design, and I was working on it, uh, studying it, practicing it, and um, I guess. My my logic was that well, if some Flash Portal sponsors my game, then it means it must be good at some level at least, it must sure. be a, a little bit fun at least, and uh, that that was very encouraging, I guess. Then what happens? You're doing these game jams, you're making Flash games, and at some point, you make a game that actually ends up being a pretty big project for you. Yeah. Um, so we that was. Uh, Painters Guild, right? Um, Painters Guild was the it was my original game idea, I guess. Back before I made Avantgarde, Avantgarde ended up being about France and uh, the 19th century. But I really wanted to make a game about the Renaissance and more about managing artists instead of being an artist. Mm -hmm. And um, 
So Painter's Guild was like my dream game. Uh, that it was what I wanted to play, but I couldn't find. So and I knew it was gonna take time. It was gonna take work, and uh, it required uh, a level of quality. So I purposefully didn't make it for a while. I mean, I spent like a year making this smaller project so that I could build up my skills. And then when I felt ready, I started working on Painter's Guild. Um, sure. Yeah. Tell me about Painter's Guild. What is this game? Yeah, it's a historical simulation game about managing an academy of painters in the Italian Renaissance. So you can uh, paint artwork to your clients. You can hire artists. You can manage these artists, uh, increase their skill. They have these dif different uh, tiers, uh, which are historically based. Like they start as apprentices, they become uh, journeymen, and then finally they they become masters. And the the artists can uh, teach each other. You have to keep this guild going for hundreds of years throughout the Renaissance. So this these painters die over time, and uh, they are replaced by new ones. They can be um, both historical, like uh, Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, you know, painters we all know, but there's also uh, artists that are uh, procedurally generated, right? So they have their own personalities. They're like people that could have existed, right? These smaller artists that we just don't know. Maybe they, you know, stuff like that, because... Sure. Uh, these guilds were not. Uh, we know these big names, right? Leonardo da Vinci, Michelangelo, but uh, guilds were had a lot of painters in them. It was just that the master signed the artwork. So there's also all of these apprentices, which are you no know, worse artists. They don't become as great, and they don't get uh, known by us. So you mentioned, I mean, this game has been in your brain for a while. You were waiting for the ability to make it the game that you wanted to make, a, a certain level of quality, you said. How do you go about achieving that? How do you go about making the game that's been in your head for so long and turning it into a reality? And I can hear in your voice just by you telling me, you seem to be pretty proud of this game or you enjoy this game. Oh, yeah. Um, it was a lot of work, I guess, but... It was work over time. Um, it wasn't all at once, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, I have this dream game idea, now I have to come up with how I'm going to make it. I mean, it, it was over years. But we went over my uh, my career, I guess, in uh, game development. But uh, before that, I was actually working, uh, in, you know, practicing art, practicing digital painting, and after digital painting, I went into pixel art, and uh, that was before that, so I've been painting for longer than that, and you know, I, I made painters go almost by myself, I didn't make the music, which was made by a, a friend, so the all the art, the code, game design, everything else was made by me, but I, I acquired the skills over years, and uh, they were all self-taught. I mean, that's, that's really impressive. Good for you. Congratulations on that. What was the reception like? What was it like releasing a game on Steam that you put so much of yourself into? 
Well, it was it was hard for me um, because I I worked basically alone for all this time and um, right yeah even though I was you know uh, posting stuff on social media and uh, on Twitter daily progress on uh, the TigSource devlog forums and uh, everywhere I could in the DB. I mean, it's still different. People are just seeing images. They're not playing your game. So when I released it, uh, I honestly, I, I couldn't really bear to look at uh, what was said about it. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah, this, this, has, this has actually been a thing for me in my past games as well. So uh, with Avantgarde, for example, which, had a, which was featured on Rock, Paper, Shotgun, Right. I never read that review. No, it was featured on the site. It was my, my first project, uh, but it, I don't know. I just I, I feel anxious. I I couldn't read it. So that's a thing that uh, happens every time. Like I don't really follow what what people say about my games. Uh, that's so interesting to me because I mean this. I'm I actually have the feature in front of me from Rock Paper Shotgun, and it's a it's a pretty good write up they seem to really enjoy it yeah but yeah that's that's interesting that's something we don't talk about too much on the podcast uh is how you take feedback how you take both positive and and negative criticism and and if you take it and and how you take it so that's interesting um but your game comes out did it did it sell pretty well did you see good numbers from it yeah, uh, it was pretty good. Uh, I guess it fell into kind of expectations since uh, Greenlight gave me an idea uh, of how many copies it could it could sell. I guess I, it's not precise, right? But sure, no. Right. Since people said, "Oh, yeah, I'd buy this this game," so it uh, would get through Greenlight. Then I I had an idea of how much it could sell, and it sold so well that. It, I was able to quit my job as a history teacher because I made more from Painter's Guild than I was making uh, working every day as a teacher. Well, you know, that's part of the goal, right? Is just making enough money to keep taking the next step forward. So good for you. Congratulations. Well deserved. Yeah, thanks. So you released this game. It comes out. You quit your job. You decide to be a full-time developer. What's the next step? Right. Um, at this point... After releasing Painter's Guild, I was pretty tired because I didn't think <laughs> yeah. it would take as long as it took, right? I mean, we always do this. We always predict it's going to take less time, but uh, it took two years to make Painter's Guild, and I was really sick of it. Uh, and at, yeah, sure. You know, at the same time, I I got this 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 thing, the fact that the game sold reasonably well and I was able to quit my job it was like okay now I kind of have to make games right I mean uh, it's it's what's what's working for me but right, at course. the same time I was pretty tired of doing it right so um, yeah I I actually um, I, I wasn't very productive for a while after making Painter's Guild even though I, I quit my job to make games but I, I really wasn't Filling into it because it was I was kind of tired of it, but uh, it was still a nice time because I got to uh, travel to some events here in Brazil, um, 
you know, and meet people, meet other developers who uh, I admire a lot here. And uh, also, it was surprising to see that people knew my game. Uh, I'd go like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm Lucas, I'm, I made Painter's Guild. And a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, right, Painter's Guild, we know this game. And I was like, what? How, how do you even <laughs> know my game? It's, it's an art history simulator. But yeah, I guess it was... That was that was nice. Well, that's great. So you take some time for yourself, and it sounds like you were struggling with just a bit of burnout. And uh, you take your time. You meet some people. Um, people actually know you because of this. Uh, where do you go from there? Yeah, uh, I I tried making a few prototypes. Um, I wasn't really happy with any of them. I had a couple of ideas a few months after Painter's Guild I was going to make first I was going to make this sci-fi game which was about being uh, an artificial intelligence in a generation ship I don't know if you know the concept of generation ship in sci-fi it's like uh, several generations have to uh, be born and die in the spaceship so you know uh, uh, centuries after it it lives Earth, then it might get to its destination. And I was really uh, fascinated with with this concept. Sure. My, I read a uh, a short novel uh, about this, and uh, where a, a history teacher was actually put in one of these ships, and he was frozen. I don't know why the other people weren't frozen, but only he was frozen. <laughs> and every yeah, it's an old sci-fi, like from the fifties. Okay. And uh, every fifty years, they'd uh, unfreeze him so that he would uh, teach the values of civilization and remind these people that um, uh, that they had a mission. They had to uh, keep the, the the fire of civilization alive. And um, it actually, in the in the novel, it turns out all wrong. The first time he uh, he's, he's, they unfreeze him. Uh, it's so, it's pure chaos, right? He's supposed to teach history, but he can't. Uh, uh, people are dying, people are starving and killing each other. It's it's madness. Oh, wow. And uh, it it actually reminds me of uh, teaching history in classroom. Actually, you know, being a history teacher here. I mean, I don't know how the school system is over there, but here in Brazil, public schools are pretty hard to teach those kids man they they are pretty insane so <laughs> uh yeah you i started like okay i'm gonna be a history teacher i'm gonna teach all this cool stuff about the past but you you get there and you have to teach them how to not beat each other and uh how to be decent human beings right yeah and i uh, that's i guess i i really connected with that but uh, I couldn't get the prototype going like I wanted. I guess I was still kind of burned out. Now it's still a project I'm, I'm interested in, so maybe one day. But uh, I ended up moving on to another prototype, which was about Rome, uh, Roman history. It was about being a senator. Uh, so games about Rome are usually uh, focused on war, stuff like that. But I wanted to focus more on politics, uh, backstabbing, and speeches, because speeches in Rome were 
super, super important. They wrote uh, books and books about how to give speeches and political influence, stuff like mm -hmm. that. And I really wanted to to make a game uh, that was less violent. Now I, I have this this thing also with. Uh, uh, it's not because I think uh, violent games are bad for you, and that's the whole thing. Like old people say and news channels say, it's not <laughs> that. But uh, sure. Uh, I think we can do more with games, right? And uh, I think a game about uh, doing speeches, writing speeches, and being a senator in Rome would have been a pretty good um, good way to make something unique. But again, this prototype didn't go far, and uh, that's that's when I suddenly came up with uh, Rogue all right, so tell me about Rogemance. It's clearly this game that you've been working on for a while, you're excited about. I've seen a lot about it already. Um, fill me in. What is Rogemance? Yeah, Rogemance is a romantic roguelite. Uh, that's the the pitch that Rami from Zambier uh, gave me on my own game, I guess, <laughs> when I did a pitching workshop with him. So, yeah, romantic roguelike. That's, that's pretty cool. And... Um, my idea, I guess, was to make a more personal game, a more emotional game. Uh, I guess what was lacking in those two prototypes, even though I, I thought they were cool, they didn't speak to me very deeply, and I wanted to make a project that was you know, more personal than my previous ones. So in Rogemance, uh, each battle is a date, and uh, you have to kill these enemies... So, so far, we are uh, in pretty standard gaming territory, but the enemies are relationship issues, so they all represent some, some problem in relationships, like manipulation, uh, lovers, money, um, and also you fight these battles alongside someone, so you have to adapt to your partner uh, as you fight the battles, and you explore this this land which is the heart Pelago, uh which is a, a heart-shaped island <laughs> and you you meet people you meet these these love interests uh and in your explorations you know it's kind of supposed to be like uh a, a dating uh, i'm trying to to get dating mechanics into a game and how hard relationships can be. So your these partners that you find, they all have um, their own opinions of what to do and where to go. Because usually in uh, like RPG games where you have a party, they just kind of follow you. They do what you tell them, right? But that's not how relationships are, right? Relationships right. Are, are about uh, compromise and sometimes doing what the what your partner wants, not what you want. And sometimes it's about doing what you want and not what your partner wants. And uh, you have to find this this balance. And I'm trying to get this in the game. Like, uh, no, maybe your partner wants to go over there and uh, fight another battle. They're, they're, they want to fight, but you have low HP, you want to heal, and you, you want to go to this other side. So what do you do? Do you disappoint them? Make them mad at you and uh, heal up, or do you fight another another battle and uh, risk dying? So yeah, it's such an 
a cute and interesting concept. So there's a website for the game, Roguemance.com, um, which all of you listeners should definitely go and check out. Um, and I'm just looking. There's uh, GIFs all over and images from this game. It just it looks so fun. It's uh, Each battle is a date, like you said. Enemies are relationship issues, money, jealousy, exes. Um, a love for everyone. Everyone deserves love, no matter their sexuality or gender. Um, the Heart of Pelago, it's such a good idea. I, I really think this game is adorable. I think that people are really going to enjoy the concept. Um, how is development going? You're still a ways out, right? Yeah. The, uh, release date at this point is Valentine's Day 2018, so that's about a year from now. Yeah. But uh, development is going nicely. I made, I, I made it the prototype for the combat system very quickly it was like one week development and i showed it at a local event which i'm actually organizing where play where uh, developers can take their game to other developers and get feedback uh, i'm not so against feedback after all so uh, <laughs> so yeah the the prototype was on super fast and now i'm just uh keep working on it i'm making I'm being more uh, exploratory in my development. I'm making prototypes that don't work sometimes, and I make another one. uh, I'm taking my time to make sure the the game is is fun. Um, But yeah, uh, if everything goes well, Valentine's Day 2018 should be the day. You're holding an alpha for this game, correct? Yeah, that's right. So if people are interested in you know helping out, they want to check out Roguemance, um, they can actually sign up for the alpha on the Roguemance website, correct? That's right. I'm not sure when that alpha is going to happen, but uh, pretty soon, I guess. Yeah, great. So everyone, go check out Roguemance.com, sign up for the alpha. Um, I don't know. I think this game looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I like it. Um, Lucas, you mentioned it briefly in there, so I want to go back to it. Tell me a little bit about this event that you're helping organize. Yeah, um, so there was, this was, I guess, something that happened after Painter's Guild as well. Um, I decided to be a game developer, and I, find, I found myself kind of alone, because as a solo developer, I don't, I don't have a company, I don't have like people near me that are also making games, and uh, that doesn't help you, right? So uh, I couldn't find an event in my city, so I made my own, I guess, and um, I invited a few friends that I I I knew from some some gaming events from the internet, and we got together and uh, we started uh, what we call Pain. Pain is uh, our our local indie games event. Uh, right now we're getting about. Uh, 50 people at each meetup, which is pretty good. And it's really a, good, yeah. We have a group with uh, 400 people on the internet. And uh, yeah, we've been going for almost a year now. And uh, we do talks, we do roundtables, and very importantly, we do playtesting sessions. Any developer can take their game there and get feedback from from other developers. I, I guess I'm more comfortable with feedback from developers than uh, from from actual players or uh, or media. I don't mind it as much. 
<laughs> well, that makes sense. That's fair. But that seems so important to me is that uh, there wasn't a community already existing in your area, so you developed one. And it's so important in this type of work to have that community to bounce ideas off each other and to help each other out. Um, so good on you for, I guess, you know, pursuing that and, and creating your own community. That's such a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's been it's been very important for, I guess, everyone. For me, it's been super important, not just for you know playtesting games, but for meeting people, having someone to talk to. It's it's kind of a support network, you no. Know? Just even emotionally, people help you, right? We all know how hard it is to make games, so we can uh, lean on each other, cry on each other's shoulders, stuff like that. Absolutely. Well, Lucas, we've been talking for a while now. I've really enjoyed your story, uh, and I'm really excited about Roguemance. If I can, if you don't mind, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about some bigger topics um, about indie video games and video games as a whole, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So you're making a roguelite game. You actually went to a workshop, you said, um, with Rami. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about what is it like to quit your job and be an indie developer in this day and age when indie games are so big right now, and especially in an area that you know indie games are, are starting to grow. What are your thoughts on, you know, uh, going to workshops and, and I guess the hustle and making it happen. Do you think this is, you know, are there things that we should be doing as an industry to make this easier for people or um, are there too many people? Give me some of your broad thoughts. Yeah. Um, I don't think there are too many people. I think um, as, as many people as we can get is, is better, right? Because I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be in this industry if it wasn't for this uh, this process of inclusion, I'm uh, you know I'm, I'm some some Brazilian kid. I'm not supposed to really uh, get much done, but <laughs> because uh, because uh, we somehow got some some computers and uh, the internet and uh, games. That's that has allowed me to make a lot of cool stuff and enjoy doing this. So I really appreciate the including as many people as possible because otherwise I if it wasn't for this this attitude I, I wouldn't be able to make games. So yeah, um, I I, tr I I try to give back as much as I can. You now. Organizing this this local event is one way. For uh, last year, I spent a, a good portion of the year uh, teaching kids how to make games as well. So I, I quit my my job as a history teacher, but then I I went to that school and I uh, I said, hey, I can I don't want to teach history anymore, but I can teach some kids how to make games because that that sounds fun. So I actually got. Know uh, a few kids to sign up for this, and uh, yeah, uh, we we had a, a workshop of game development for I don't know, I don't know seven months or something like that, and one of, one of them at least I know is has been going at at this, and uh, uh, he's been making games on his own right now, so that's pretty cool. That's really really cool. 
Tell me a little bit about the giving back, because that's not something we've ever talked about on the show before. What are your thoughts on giving back to the industry and giving back to video games? Uh, are, are there things that we could be doing more of? Are there things that you think would be very effective, especially in your area? Well, I guess uh, I try to do what I can, right? Um, I think there are institutions and companies that don't do as much as they could. I guess um, there's also people here in Brazil that do a lot. I mean, they 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 work on their companies and they also do a lot of these these projects for uh, including more people and teaching people. Um, so yeah, there's there's a, a bit of everything. I guess everyone needs to do what it what they can. It kind of ties into your idea of, you know, community and inclusion as well, right? That doing what you can to give back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, community seems so important in just your career and who you are, even in the things that you've done. Do you think that the industry is inviting enough, especially the indie video game industry? Are they welcoming enough? Is there more that we should be doing? Um, that's That's an interesting question. Um, I try. I try to come up with the interesting ones, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess it it varies a lot. It depends on uh, what community you're in, right? There are communities that are more welcoming, others that are not so much. I actually got kicked out of of a community once. I mean, I wasn't kicked out, but I became really very hated in this this community. Uh, for for uh, a decision I made in Painters Guild, which was to to include women painters, and uh, people were saying, "Oh, but you're uh, you're trying to please uh, these SJWs, and uh, uh, it's not uh, uh, it's not correct uh, or something." But um, to me, it was it wasn't. It was more a matter of uh, historical uh, accuracy because there were women painters, and yeah, there were there were fewer women painters. We don't hear much much about it about them, but mm-hmm. they existed. So if I made a historical game set in the Renaissance and it had only male painters, it would actually be historic historically incorrect, right? Wow. So okay. yeah, that there 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 were there are, there are women painters in in painters guild there's also homosexuality and uh yeah i i got a lot of hate from this this one particular community but i guess it depends on where you are some are more tolerant and inclusive and some are not so i noticed i i have to ask because it's it's come up now um with rogue mance uh it seemed like you were going to you know strive to include uh, a lot of diversity in the relationships in the game dependent on, or not dependent rather, on sexuality and, and gender. Are you worried about any hate with that? Um, um, I don't know. I guess I, I am. I can't say I'm not because um, it kind of affects you, right? There is a large portion of, of players and that's uh, that go both ways, right? Either they're uh, some of, some of these players are really against uh, equality and diversity, and some players are really 
for it and it's really hard to to please everyone right it's impossible of course so uh, i guess what i'm trying to do is kind of stay true to my own vision uh of what i want the game to be like and then yeah that that is uh an inclusive game but i also have to think about uh production uh, the production standpoint like I can't um, I can't include everything in the game because then it would just take too long to make so I also have this this thing like what is realistic how how, how much can I put in the game mm-hmm. but I'm trying you know uh, so I'm still not sure how gender is gonna work in romance I'm still no, it's still uh, pre-alpha, so uh, I'm testing a lot of a lot of stuff. Right. One of the ideas is that uh, there's no gender at all. For for example, you no, know, you just have characters; they look human, and uh, you just inter- interpret it as you want. Or uh, another option is to have two genders, male and female, which is not as inclusive as, as it could be. So, you no, know, you can add something like another gender which is still not perfect uh, or you can have something like uh, players can name a gender that's an idea that I, f- I find interesting and um, yeah there's also a relationship variety like relationship to diversity something that I, I want to include for sure is um, polyamory and the polygamy and stuff like that like uh, not all relationships are, are monogamous. You can have uh, different setups with uh, like three people in a relationship. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm going for. I can't... I, 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 Lucas, I mean, that's... I think that it's great that you worry about those things and that you struggle with appealing to an audience and thinking about their feedback and what people are going to say and how people are going to respond to it. But at the end of the day, you still have to make the game that you want to make and, and try to include as many people as possible in that vision. But at the end of the day, it's, it's your vision and, and really sticking to your guns in that regard. So I think that, you know, just based on the very eloquent way that you've, you know, verbalized what you think, I think that you'll, you seems like you're on the right track and you're making the game that you want to make. And that's great. So, yeah, I'm very excited to see how it all comes out. And again, it's so early. I'm sure things will definitely change for you in the next year. Um, but I would love to talk to you again, uh, especially, you know, as you get closer to release or even after release and we can talk about, you know, how it all came out. I would love to do that. Yeah. Right. It will be very interesting. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Lucas, we've reached the end of the show, but of course at the end of every indie insider episode, I do ask my guest to share a piece of advice with, uh, the listening aspiring developers um, or artists out there um, who want to make games just like you. So is there anything that you want to send people home with today? Make games. Um, I guess that's kind of uh, usual advice that a game developer would, would say, just make games, make a lot of games. And it's very important. But just so I don't uh, repeat uh, what everyone probably says uh i'd also add something that we have talked about here a little bit which was the the feedback thing right i i I don't uh 
I can't really uh, deal very well with player feedback and media feedback, but that that's no excuse, right? I, I should be doing that. I should be uh, be more open to that. But at the same time, I, I really listen to developer feedback uh, a lot, and I show my 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 games during development to uh, to other devs, and I listen to their feedback every time. Uh, and I guess the the best way to deal with feedback is to never be defensive, because sometimes yeah the feedback's gonna suck it's it's gonna be completely wrong but <laughs> if you have a, a defensive attitude towards feedback then you will probably ignore a lot of good feedback that could have made your game a lot better so what you do is you whenever someone comments on your game and you should ask people to comment as well but uh, whenever someone says something, you should listen and ask questions. You don't give excuses. You don't say, oh, but I'm going to change this later. It's going to be different. It's going to be better. I already knew this. You don't say stuff like that. You just say, uh, cool, thanks for your feedback. Uh, do you think it would be better like this? Or... Uh, what do you think about this thing? You get feedback on other stuff that they, they haven't mentioned. You just ask questions and listen to the, the answers. Later, you can think about what they said. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's not, not going to be useful, but it's very important to uh, get this feedback so that you have material to think about. Absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, that is some sound advice, um, particularly on feedback from Lucas Molina. He is a full-time indie developer out of Brazil. He's made Painter's Guild. And, of course, we've talked about his upcoming game, Rogue Mance, which will hopefully be out around Valentine's Day next year. Of course, this is the Indie Insider Podcast. It is presented by Blackshell Media. And Blackshell Media is a publishing and marketing firm dedicated to helping independent video game developers reach massive audiences, publish financially successful titles, and turn game development into a career. Uh, it's the company's mission to help game developers get more of what they want out of a rewarding opportunity in the gaming industry. Uh, more fans and a sustainable revenue to keep them moving forward. Of course, if you want to connect with the company Blackshell Media, you can find them on uh, Twitter at Blackshell Media. You can also hit the website, blackshellmedia.com. Now, if you enjoy this show, they also have an educational branch of their company. It's completely separate from the publishing company. Um, and that's why I get to bring this show to you every single week. And if you have thoughts, questions, concerns, comments, if you have questions for Lucas, we'll pass them along. We'll get him back on the show. Send him my way, Logan at BlackShowMedia.com. You can also find the most up-to-date information on Twitter at Logan A. Schultz. Lucas, if people are super excited about Rogue Mance or they just want to connect with you and pick your brain about things... How do they find you out on those interwebs? Yeah, just go to roguemance.com. There you can uh, sign up for the alpha. You can find my email. You can find me on Twitter as well, uh, at AD1337. I love it. Well, Lucas, uh, one last time. This has been a great story. You've shared some great advice. Uh, and again, I'm super excited for Rogue Man. So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with me today. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, and for all of you out there, this has been Indie Insider, and we will see all of you next week.